Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing. I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How Stuff Works Now. I'm your host, Lauren Vogelbaum, a researcher and writer here at How Stuff Works. Every week, I'm bringing you three stories from our team about the weird and wondrous advances we've seen in science, technology, and culture. This week, new research into squid brains shows how different cephalopods really are from humans and explains how they pull off some of their most amazing feats. And... Unrelated, we answer one of those burning questions. Why does hot food seem so much more satisfying than cold food? But first, staff editor Christopher Hasiotis and our freelance writer Lori L. Dove explore a strange bit of food history. Ancient armies sometimes waged war using hallucinogenic honey. In 2008, a middle-aged couple decided to improve their sex life, so they spent a week eating raw honey gathered from near Turkey's Black Sea. But then they ended up in a hospital with symptoms that mimicked heart attacks. The culprit? Mad honey poisoning, a little-known destroyer that has brought down ancient armies and, in modern times, been rumored to have a hallucinatory effect that increases sexual performance. Mad honey is produced by bees that ingest the nectar of rhododendron ponticum, and other poisonous plants that grow in Japan, Nepal, Brazil, parts of North America and Europe, and the eastern Black Sea region of Turkey. The naturally toxic syrup reportedly tastes more bitter than normal honey, and the toxicity is stronger in fresh honey gathered in the springtime, when rhododendrons are among the first plants to bloom. Mad honey can go from intoxicating to lethal in just a few tablespoons, and because potency varies from hive to hive, there's really no sure way to tell when enough is enough. In the case of the couple who wound up in the emergency room, increasingly large doses of the toxically tinged honey caused acute inferior myocardial infarctions, adding to the dizziness, hypotension, and loss of consciousness they may already have experienced from their first taste. The honey is so potent that ancient armies used it as a weapon, and quite effectively, too. According to Adrian Mayer, a research scholar in classics and a historian specializing in ancient biological and chemical warfare, this goes back a while— the ancient Greek commander Xenophon led an army of 10,000 soldiers from Persia back to Greece in the year 401 BCE. 
He prided himself on choosing healthy and safe campsites for his soldiers while in hostile territory, and set up shop in Pontus, on the Black Sea coast in northeast Turkey. He noted nothing unusual, but did make note of an extraordinary number of swarming bees, and said that his men soon discovered the hives and gorged themselves on the sweet treat of wild honey. Xenophon recorded his thoughts for posterity, and was, quote, appalled when his soldiers suddenly behaved like crazed madmen and collapsed en masse. His entire army was paralyzed and incapacitated for days, totally vulnerable to possible enemy attack. Although Xenophon's army recovered before they were discovered and slain, the Roman general Pompey was not so lucky, according to Mayer. In the year 65 BCE, during a war against King Mithradates of Pontus, Pompey and his troops traveled through the exact same area where Xenophon's army had eaten that mad honey. His soldiers dined on honeycombs, unaware they were actually traps set by their enemies along the route. 1,000 Roman soldiers were ambushed and killed after being rendered inert by the toxic honey. In addition to being a trap, there are also instances of mad honey being used in mead as a way of stalling encroaching forces. Mead, or honey wine, is made by fermenting honey with water and then flavoring the mixture with fruits and spices. Two notable occurrences of mead made with mad honey took place in the same region where the armies of Xenophon and Pompey once stalled. In the year 946 CE, the Russian foes of Olga of Kiev fell to a similar ruse when they accepted several tons of mead to drink from Olga's allies. All 5,000 Russian soldiers were massacred where they collapsed, reeling and delirious. And in 1489, in the same region, a Russian army slaughtered 10,000 Tatars, who had drunk many casks of mead the Russians had deliberately left behind in their abandoned camp. So, that was then. But what about now? Mad honey still poses a threat to outsiders unfamiliar with its potency, though it's treated differently by locals who use it medicinally. In Turkish culture, mad honey is seen as a type of medicine known as delibal, and is used in small amounts to treat hypertension, diabetes mellitus, and stomach diseases. In Nepal, the indigenous Gurung community uses mad honey not only for medicinal purposes, but also for its hallucinogenic properties as well in ritual. The curious and determined have purchased mad honey from internet sites or from shopkeepers and apiaries who surreptitiously sell the substance in regions where it's produced. Mad honey these days reportedly costs nearly $170 per pound, made more expensive both by its active ingredient, grayanotoxin, which causes paralysis and breathing stoppage, and by the difficulty of obtaining it. In Nepal, for instance, this hallucinatory honey is harvested by people who rappel down craggy cliffs while chanting calming words to keep away swarms of bees. Although honey and mead were among the only natural sweets in antiquity as irresistible as candy, today's soldiers are presumably well supplied with candy bars and able to forego the temptation of found hives. But then again, it's easy to envision a scenario where soldiers might accept gifts of food or drink from seemingly friendly hosts secretly allied with enemies waiting in ambush. Sounds like a delicious but deadly Trojan horse. Uh, make that Trojan bee. Next up, our audio producer Dylan Fagan, along with freelance writer Jessalyn Shields, explain how physiology and nostalgia combine to make hot food seem more craveable than cold food. You know that ravenously hungry feeling you get after going swimming? It feels like you could go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and make them rethink their business strategy. But even though a salad, granola bar, or even a nice smoothie would probably satisfy you, a voice echoing out of the deepest recesses of your brain commands you to feed it something hot. An entire large pizza, perhaps. A whole side of roast hog. Thirteen plates of spaghetti covered in butter and Parmesan cheese. There could be a lot of reasons we crave warm foods when we're especially hungry, but one of them probably has to do with the link between smell and taste. 
We talked with Dr. Stephen Secor, an associate professor in the University of Alabama Department of Biological Sciences who studies the physiological design of digestive systems. He pointed out that hot foods give off far more airborne particles than cold foods. And because our sense of taste actually involves a lot of input from smell, hot foods give us more to love than cold foods do. Just consider how quickly the smell of meat or vegetables cooking on the barbecue can make you feel hungry. You might have not been ready for lunch before, but now you sure as heck are. Cold gazpacho simply doesn't stimulate the senses like a warm minestrone. So even though we intellectually know that cold soup is going to be tasty and fill us up, our olfactory apparatus hasn't yet been apprised of the situation. That makes it hard to get all the parts of our brain on the gazpacho bandwagon. Smell may not be the only reason we crave a hot meal more than a cold one. Heating food unlocks calories and nutrients that we wouldn't be able to get eating the food raw, and our big old brains are very calorie needy. Our preference for hot meals might have something to do with our brains steering us towards the most potential calories possible in the moment of hunger. According to Richard Wrangham, a biological anthropologist at Harvard and author of Catching Fire, How Cooking Made Us Human, the important comparison is between foods that are cooked and differ only in temperature. Wrangham says that hot food very likely yields more energy gain than cold food partly because of the changes in digestibility. One example is that starch becomes increasingly refractory after hot bread cools, which could be one reason why we like hot toast. In the case of lipid-rich foods, the closer a fat is to its melting point when eaten, probably the easier it is digested. According to Secor, while it's possible we crave a warm meal because it makes it easier to digest and get the calories more quickly, he doesn't necessarily agree that we crave hot food because it's more nutritious. He said a cooked hamburger that is cold or hot would probably provide an equal amount of calories and take the same amount of effort to digest. So while there might be some selected drive hidden in our behavior to crave cooked food for nutritional gains, the craving is very likely driven by a nice memory of the taste and smell of a burger right off the grill or your mom's macaroni and cheese. Finally this week, managing editor Allison Loudermilk and Ms. Jessalyn Shields dive into new research into one of my favorite topics, the eldritch and evasive inner workings of squid and other cephalopods. Caltech physicist Richard Feynman once said, If you think you understand quantum mechanics, you don't understand quantum mechanics. The same could be said about cephalopods, those invertebrates that include octopuses, squid, and cuttlefish. The last ancestor we shared with one of these animated jello salads was probably a worm of some kind. So our DNA is basically nothing like theirs. Not that they care. They didn't really do evolution the same way we did, but nevertheless managed to independently evolve into uncannily clever camouflage artists with large, complex brains, closed circulatory systems, and camera-style eyes just like ours. Well, not just like ours. The thing about cephalopods is they've had 500 million years of independent evolution to figure out how to do things their own way. Any test you can create to measure something in a human, intelligence, say, isn't going to work for an octopus. Which is why neurobiologists studying cephalopods are kind of like electricians figuring out the electrical grid on an alien planet. Here's evolutionary biologist Dr. Sabrina Pinky on cephalopods. We've known for 50 years that the cephalopod brain is easily the most complex among invertebrates, and also that their dazzlingly intricate body patterning behavior is controlled by motor centers in the brain. Figuring out the neural bases of complex behaviors is inherently difficult in any animal, but trying to figure out how a squid can completely change its body patterning in a matter of milliseconds is a sticky wicket. 
One hypothesis has been that body coloration is organized in the cephalopod brain somatotopically. That means one specific part of the central nervous system is solely responsible for controlling the patterning in a distinct patch of skin. After all, that's how it works in our mammalian cortex. But a new study published in the Journal of Neuroscience shows again cephalopods aren't like us, very not like us. The research team proposes that the oval squid, also known as the big fin reef squid, achieves its skin patterning through mosaic organization. That these squid actually use multiple motor centers within the optic lobe of their brain to produce a single skin pattern, like stripes, bands, or spots. The fact that several parts of the brain work together at once to create a single display allows for greater complexity in the resulting pattern. It'd be like using multiple keyboards to write the same document all at the same time. We vertebrates just don't do things that way. Researchers at Taiwan's National Tsinghua University think that because several different areas of the optic lobe can be used to display a single skin pattern in a specific body part—a dark mantle, stripy tentacles, polka dot fins—the squid are able to flash up to about 14 distinct patterns in the blink of an eye. 14 distinct patterns. We tend to think of redundancy as inefficient, but cephalopods have overlapping parts of their brains to create specific patterns on specific body parts. Meaning, if one part of their brain is busy, they can still flash information onto their bodies with awe-inspiring quickness. Just think: if you had a bunch of different parts of your brain in charge of remembering a single word, your word recall skills would be amazing. Dr. Chow, one of the lead researchers involved in the squid study, told us the squid's ability to quickly switch different body patterns and visual communication is sort of like an alphabet visual language. The researchers think the color patterns displayed by the squid are not only used as a communication signal to the same species, but also used to hide or warn off other potential predators or prey. This research also highlights the fact that though we vertebrates tend to think we've got the best systems for doing everything, cephalopods might be onto something, at least when it comes to efficient communication. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Further thanks to our audio producer Dylan Fagan and our editorial liaison Allison Loudermilk. Subscribe to now, now for more of the latest science news, and send us links to anything you'd like to hear us cover. Plus, a favorite quote of yours doesn't matter what it's about. You can send us an email at nowpodcast@howstuffworks.com. And of course, for lots more stories like these, head on over to our home planet, now.howstuffworks.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks, then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar forty nine. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba da ba ba ba. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, "Okay, talk about this." Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing. 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.